but I support them and I'm on their team and I want them to succeed. Yeah. So that's that's the uh, the kind diplomatic way of saying it, you know? They do great things. I mean, they do themes based on like C.S. Lewis and mm-hmm. um, I think that's cool. It is cool. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, how do we do this? I'll just I'll just start and we'll just continue. And whenever you need to uh, relocate, feel free to do it. Yeah, it's very um, it's pretty low key. Yeah, I appreciate that. I yeah, maybe every five minutes I'll find another spot in my house and that could be the scene. <laughs> I I'm sitting in the the kid. There's like a little kid zone downstairs where we have, you know, like kids stuff. <laughs> so good to see that stuff again i have two uh older kids they're um 17 and 20 now so whoa. yeah whoa so, it's fun seeing the little kids stuff wait do you mind if i ask how old how old are you yeah 47 you look like you're 35 <laughs> do people tell you that yeah especially when i especially when i shave the beard <laughs> then it gets uh then it gets pretty ridiculous really um yeah so I just 17 and 20. Wow. Yeah. So you have one who's like looking towards like school, like, like uh, college and university or whatever yep. they're going to do. Yep. And the 20 year old actually just got married. So, and he and his wife, um, they're finishing up school college. Um, but they, they just at? got at Cedarville in Ohio. And, Ohio. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they just got married. And, um, I remember, um, I usually start sentences with, I remember, cause I'm not good at podcasting quite yet, but I remember, um, I was in the car, it was like 2017, 16, and I had just discovered I am origami Two, And I was listening to that with my, um, my oldest and this song, um, what's the exact title, but it's have mercy on me. Oh God. It's like the very personal song. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on me. Oh God. That one. And I remember both of us were, he like leaned forward and he like turned up the volume and he said, who is this? And it was just this great moment because mm-hmm. I don't know, you don't, that kind of in that kind of rawness and vulnerability in a song. And it's not that you like confessed all these (laughs) sins or whatever on the song, but it felt like it, you know, Mm -hmm. it felt like it, that very, yeah. Intimate, um, crying out to God. And, um, that hooked us, that hooked me. So, uh, my son was excited that I'd be talking to you. That's a cool story. I, I, Oh, thank you. This my best friend and wife just brought me eggs in the middle of this interview. Thank you. <laughs> this is great. Also, I'm trying Anna, to... Anna babe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anna babe. Most people think it's a pet name, but it's not. That's, that is her name. <laughs> We've only ever met one other or heard of one other Anna babe in the world. And it just happens to be a goat that lives on the <laughs> Island where we live. Really? Isn't that crazy? Wow. Maybe they named the goat after. No, no, no. <laughs> they swear they didn't. They swear they didn't. They yeah. they swear that it was uh, just like a 
a, a random coincidence. So was she your wife in the band in um, any of your the lonely? Four. No. Yeah, the lonely. She um. She has toured with me before and played bass. Okay. In my solo band, and um, she has played like keyboards in my solo band as well. But um, no, she was not in the Lonely Forest. The Lonely Forest was four small town dudes. Yeah, dude, dude band through and through. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's cool. What you were saying though about that that kind of experience with that song. It's called "Be Be Merciful to Me." Yeah, and, be merciful. Um, I uh, nobody's really ever talked to me about that song. Really. Maybe, maybe once or wow. twice I've had someone mention it, but um, it's never been a song that people like bring up and uh, I'm not sure why. So anyways, it's cool that you brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, st- a song that I've many times started my day with hmm. um, that album. Um, I am origami too, which is, I want, I, I've shared that album with more people than like, I, that's probably my most sent album when I uh, text friends and say, you need to listen to this album. Um, it's that album. Um, and I've listened to it so many times, but that song in particular too, I, I, I like starting my day with it. Like I want to start off on a right, on the right foot. I want to start off worshiping. There's, there's still junk that I need to get out, you know, and those songs, especially that one, uh, helps me to do that. Um, so wow. thank, thank you for that. And I want to, yeah, I want, I want more people to discover that it's, uh, so thank you. Thank you. By the way, that yeah. that is super encouraging. And I, I remember writing it and, um, I can kind of just remember where I was at personally when I wrote it and, that line, is it okay to be angry with you? Yes. That felt like it was one of the more important lyrics on that record for me. Mm-hmm. Because growing up in the church, nobody ever told me that the emotion of anger, like within the context of my relationship with my creator, was normal or okay. And I know now that if you read through the biblical narrative, it's actually pretty normal and Mm. that we don't have to be afraid of our creator in that context, that Mm -hmm. God sees us and knows us better than we know ourselves. So that if we are feeling angry towards him, the best and wisest thing for us to do is just to be honest and come to him without pretense. And so that was me learning in real time as I wrote, mm-hmm. like, is it okay for me to be angry with you? And how do you feel about my anger towards you? Because I am a, a verbal, a, a vocal processor. So when I am prayerful, I'm often talking out loud mm-hmm. to, to God. And um, I'm now at the point where I can say I am frustrated at you if that's how I feel or, mm-hmm. and, and, and just as if I, if I was frustrated with my spouse, being able to say that it feels like it's just a normal and healthy part mm. 
of a functioning relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you like the, and I'm trying to grow in, in these areas too. I think that's why also it resonates with me so much that uh, I came from a very like, you know, a bumper sticker life where it was all the Christian cliches and all, all the things like I felt that you, people wanted to hear, the church wanted to hear, God wanted to hear, you know, all those and just pretending. And not that I was actively trying to be deceptive, but I even pulled the wool over my own eyes. But uh, I really, like, I want to be at that point where, yeah, I can honestly share an honest and true emotion. And I've learned that with God and with other people, like there's so much connected because if I have the, the gall to think that I can pull the wool over on God's eyes, then for surely I'm going to try to hide from my spouse, you know, what mm-hmm. I'm really thinking and feeling, you know, they go, they go hand in hand. Um, and I, and how you, you start, I think you start that song. I've sinned over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. I have to, ha- I'm try- I have to sing it to, to remember yeah, the words. But, me too. <laughs> yeah. I have sinned over and over again. Yeah. Um, I've walked a selfish path. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, you know, we, I think we all know that feeling when we, we've, um, we're sitting in our own failure. And should hopefully lead us to a place of being poor in spirit and realizing how badly we need God in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where that first verse starts. I'm going to eat eggs. I don't know if yeah, this no, is weird for anybody eggs. watching, but I had my, my eggs earlier off camera. I should have, should have recorded it, but that I think a different, a difference that I'm realizing too, is that's a devotional album versus like a corporate worship album. And maybe yep. that was one of the differences um, that I like, I haven't heard any, any of my, you know, regular Christian music songs where they're saying I've sinned over and over again and I'm angry with God. I mean, it feels like you're reading the Psalms or singing the Psalms, mm-hmm. but did you, did you have that difference in mind between like a, a kind of a corporate worship album versus a, a personal devotional album or just maybe, maybe state kind of the origin or tell us, tell me the origin about that, that album. I, yeah. I've always written songs from a pretty personal place. You know, it's how I process my emotional world. And I was beginning to write about my spiritual experience kind of even before I really became a Christian, but I had Christian vocabulary because I was raised in a Christian home. And then I don't know what year it was, probably 2012, 2013. I I began to draw near to God and my belief in God began to kind of blossom. And my relationship with Christ became reality for me. And so I just started writing about what I was experiencing because that's just what I do. And, Mm. um, I did just trained myself to do that over the years. And so those songs came from a really personal place and a really natural place. Like I wasn't thinking about what type of record it would make. I was just um, writing songs and Mm -hmm. 
as I wrote more of them, I realized that I could one day bring the ones I really love together and it would be a record. And I think in terms of records as a, as a songwriter and as a creative making a, an, an album is my focus. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of took shape over the years and it was really like I was singing my devotions, my prayer life. That's really all it was. Yeah. And, you know, eventually I had like 20 some songs. And so I had to kind of condense it and edit it. And um, I didn't realize it was like, it was a devotional work of art until someone maybe said that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had enough time and separation to kind of look at it and think, oh, that is what it is. It's, it's just me singing my prayers. And I'm now writing a record where the focus is at least predominantly on like corporate songs, songs that a local, a local church could sing. And there's still devotional aspects to it. And there Mm -hmm. are songs that reflect my personal prayer life. But um, this time I'm going in with a different goal. Um, But I'm, the truth is I'm really proud of every power wide awake, the, origami part two yeah yeah because it just it felt so organic to me and it was about as sincere of an offering as i've ever made offering is i guess a strange term but i think you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i I was so afraid to release it Mm. because i had never written about my faith in that way and my faith was pretty new and the people who listened to my music, probably 90% of them were thinking of me and they saw me as a just normal secular artist. And I remember the morning I released it on Bandcamp because that's how I did it at first. I just put it up for free. I was mm-hmm. in the shower shaking. I was so nervous. Wow. So. Wow. And it's and that, an all, for, just for people like it is, it is a not it's not a weak album, like doctrinally, spiritually, it is one of the most robust, rich, thoughtful, meaningful Christian albums out there, period. It just is like, there's no fluff to it. There really isn't like, and that's what that shocks me when I hear that story, because you went from, you know, the Lonely Forest Band, you know, that kind of, but they, then all of a sudden to like this hymnal album, basically, where it's, it's, it's intense. I mean, there's, with a song, Every Power Wide Awake itself, it's like, um, it's almost, almost like a crucifixion scene, it feels like uh, to mm-hmm. me. And there's like, th- just the different effects that you have, it feels like, prisons are being opened and closed. At least that's the way I interpret it. And it's just, (laughs) it's just intense spiritually Um, through, through, like I said, through the crucifixion um, you place yourself in the crucifixion scene uh, Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm, I, I'm just surprised that it, it seems like it came from a very, you know, person who had been a Christian a long time. Well, I think, some of that is because I was raised in the church and so I had mm-hmm. the vocabulary. 
Um, but I also, I think I'm still this way, but especially in my twenties, when I did something, I was all in and I actually have an addictive personality and struggled a lot when I was younger. And when I realized that God was real and that my creator wanted to have a relationship with me, Mm -hmm. that I could experience God, you know, in like not just in um, abstract ways, but in real ways, it it did something in me, and I really I, I I dove in pretty intensely, and maybe that's why it feels more robust because I just I was all in, and I am all in, and but I've also been over the years I've never I've never been good at subtly <laughs> and I, I just so maybe that's part of it too just kind of a maximalist like way of thinking and for me it was really important that the I Am Origami series which for those of you who don't know is just it's four records of mine that all have this title called I Am Origami and then each record has a you know like a subtitle its own like name it was really important to me that you go from the first one which is just a kind of personal you know rock record a pop Mm -hmm. record to every prowad awake which is personal but clearly and explicitly christian Mm -hmm. doctrine and from there to part three, which is called a catacomb hymn, Mm. which is intentional in its naming so that people thought at least when looking at it, is this a Christian record? Because the Mm -hmm. last one was, what is this? But the first one wasn't, I I genuinely just wanted to um, catch people off guard. And of course you listen to part three. Do you hear my kid running above me? (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like he's hammering. Like playing basketball. Posts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you've listened to that record, like you can't really, you could call it a Christian record, I guess, but it's not supposed to be. And it was just important to me that, that you couldn't divorce those from each other. Like you can listen to one and not listen to the other, but if you're seeing it as one big art project, mm-hmm. um, in, for me, it's important that, that you see that like these go together. Like, these are all a part of my experience. And um, I kind of like how jarring that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Cause that's all part of the, that's all part of the Christian experience. Yeah. I mean, that's the holistic experience that you were referencing in that email where you talked yeah. about, like, I didn't actually write that, but um, a friend of mine who wrote my bio said, uh, seeks to holistically examine the human heart. That was yeah. his take, his take on what I do. And I think that's yeah. just his, his way of saying like the human existence is weird. It's chaotic. It's beautiful. It's hard. We make mistakes. We have victories. We fail. If we're, if we're uh, intellectually honest, we have days of faith and days of doubt. We like, we could sing about God all the time, but in my experience, singing about my relationship with my son is 
I don't want to say it's just as important because there is a hierarchy, but but it's important. It's a part of my experience. It's a part of this reality that our God has created and just let us exist in. And so growing up, it was harder for me to find Christian music that actually talked about it all. And there are some artists who I think did a really good job, but in general, Christian culture has always tried to focus on the positive Mm -hmm. because we want to be edifying and encouraging, right? To give the benefit of the doubt to the church and Christian artists. But if you read the Psalms or Ecclesiastes or frankly, any book of the Bible, you realize that like holistically life is hard. And so, I mean, that's a gross oversimplification of it all, but that's kind of how I feel. That's why um, I wanted every power wide awake to be 100% like this is Christian through and through. This reflects my Christian faith. There is no room for, is this guy maybe a universalist or a Buddhist or he's just spiritually sensitive. I did not want yeah, that. I no, there's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. There is one record that's like, nope, this is very real to me. This is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And your other albums, to me, they work out the implications and applications of that, of, of that, of that belief. Uh, even I hope in, so. well, even in, you know, your third album, which you, yeah, which you say, uh, however you put it, but, um, like there's two songs in there, um, that, uh, the songs, if all is nothing, and then followed by fly away to hell, like mm-hmm. that transition between those two songs, like the literal transition between the two songs is like my favorite, uh, transition in, in, and maybe any two songs. I love that. But wow. you go from, um, if all is nothing and you have this line that says, I ponder snuffing out the candle that you lit within me and I long to be undividedly yours. Like there's such a tension there, right? Yeah. I ponder to snuff out, snuff out this candle that you lit in me, but I also long to be undividedly yours. And then you repeat that line over and over. I long to be undividedly yours. Um, that's that. Can you talk about that tension? Yeah. So it's a strange thing to experience depression when you're younger and realize that there are moments in my experience, it's almost like a craving, like imagine like a deep craving for something like, like I am craving pepperoni pizza so intensely Mm -hmm. that I just, it's like, I need to go find the pepperoni pizza. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, with me, my moments of depression over the years, I, I don't like the term suicidal tendency because I think, well, we don't need to get into it, but I don't like that term. For me, it was just a craving to be done. Mm. It was like this deep desire, an unhealthy desire, a very scary one that just led me to this intense feeling of wanting to be done. Like existence is tough. There are lots of good things, but for whatever reason, it's like a, it's like a carnal urge to mm. be finished with living. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and listen to the lonely forest, you see that and hear it. 
in a lot of the songs. Well, that feeling, that that aspect of my depression that I've lived with, it still stayed with me even after I began to believe and experience the love of Jesus and kind of had my world turned upside down. And what happened was when I wrote that song, If All Is Nothing, Then Nothing Must End, I remember a day in our apartment where I had that feeling. It was settling in on me and a familiar feeling, not like I'm feeling this way all the time, but maybe a couple times a year it would hit me. Mm -hmm. And it would last with me maybe an afternoon, maybe two days. And, but this time it was like that feeling that I'd lived with for a long time was kind of doing this. And then my desire to just be with my creator once Mm. and for all was over here. And it was almost as if that desire is beginning to take a healthier shape, Mm. but it still was a complicated feeling because it wasn't as simple as I just want to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. There was still a very real sense of I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't want to deal with the chaos of sin anymore. And as much as I love my wife, like I'm, I'm just ready to be right. Mm -hmm. And I'm ready to be home. Yeah. Because nowhere feels like home to me. And I'm, I live on a planet that's spinning thousands of miles an hour and it feels, I don't feel rooted. And so I'm craving in a deep way, this, this time when I will finally be made right. And so that's what that song is about. It is like, I have a very real depression. I also have a very real desire to be made right. Mm. And so I ponder snuffing out the candle that you lit within me to force the angel's hand. In this case, the angel of death is what I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for I long to be undividedly yours, just meaning every part of my existence made right. I want to be with God. So that's what that yeah. song's about. And it's hard for me to sing. Um, there's actually a live performance of it that I, I played with the full band. And I think maybe it might even be if all is nothing into fly away to hell. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I watched it yesterday. Okay. So it's, yeah. is it the one where the girls, the ladies, they're all women, but I call yes. them the girls. They sit down and do that weird, like almost like game that like some people it's intentionally confusing. It's supposed yeah. to be unsettling. Like, are they doing a seance or are they playing patty gig? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I really like that, by the way. That was always fun when we did that live. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that that ten- that's the tension in the song for me. Um, Fly Away to Hell. So if all is nothing, nothing must end is, is from my experience, right? Fly Away to Hell is me singing to others who also desire to be done with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like this two pronged thing. That's what they're, they're a brother and sister song. They belong together in Mm -hmm. my eyes. And, um, also side note for those who are nerdy about these types of things, if all is nothing, then nothing must end is the suicide note that is written by Daniel Day Lewis's character in my left foot. Hmm. If you've never seen it, it's a great film. I have. Um, Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember that note though. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. It's a weird detail, but um growing up in the church and then leaving Christian culture behind, 
associating with people who are not Christians culturally or otherwise, um, you realize that a lot of people don't feel welcome in church for a myriad of reasons, right? Like lots of different reasons that people don't feel welcome. Mm -hmm. Some good, some not good, some justified and some others probably not so. And the feeling of being unknown and different is a scary feeling. Mm -hmm. And God's people, the church, we are called to be a place where outcasts, people who feel unknown can come and be known, right? So we're created by a relational God, right? We are created to be in relationship with God and with others. And if you are not in relationship with God or others because you are alienated either by your own decisions or by this world, it is hard. It is awful. Mm -hmm. It is scary. It is unsettling. It is, you know, all the words we could use to describe it. So I know and have friends, acquaintances, family members who, because of their, their beliefs, their worldview, you know, their orientations, whatever, don't feel welcome or known or safe within a church building. So that's, we, that's the feeling and the emotion that started that song. That's what mm -hmm. I was feeling when I wrote it. And I was thinking about a friend of mine who grew up, realized he was gay, and who was ostracized by his Christian family in the Midwest and moved out West because he just didn't know what to do. And it makes me want to cry talking about it, but I was angry. I was like literally thinking about that and what he had told mm -hmm. me. And I was just mad. I was like angry for him angry at his family I'd never met, just being like, is this really, like, is this how Jesus would treat your son? Mm -hmm. So uh, they say that you don't belong here anymore. They quote that book, that obviously, book. and this book is mm -hmm. the Bible. And they close that door. It's very mm -hmm. specific. Um, they have arrived at a place, I would argue, like probably a lot of it's a cultural leading um, that for whatever reason, they've decided that their son isn't welcome. Mm -hmm. And so in my moments of depression, I have found that small moments of beauty, like acknowledging small beauties within the world that God has created helped me feel grounded. So like I reference it in the song, the way the sun is reflected on a lake, right? It's pretty far out. <laughs> like if you really sit in front of a lake and you look at the way light reflects off of water, it's, it is hard to describe. Mm. It's beautiful and it makes me feel grounded. Well, mm. the line about a rabbit running away, it, rabbits running mm. away, I find very beautiful, but it's also an act of preservation. So Mm. This was, it's like, I was writing a little note to the people I knew who felt this way saying, just remember the way a rabbit runs away, because not only is it beautiful, but it preserves its life to stay another day. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really just an anti-suicide song. It's like, mm -hmm. I know that sometimes you want to say, you know, F it and be done. Cause I know what that feels like. And you feel this way 
predominantly because the people who are supposed to be like dining with outcasts mm-hmm. because that's what Christ did have forgotten the way. Yeah. So that's what that song's about. It's wow. really important to me. Um, makes me emotional talking about it. And uh, it's a, it's the highlight on that album for me too. Those, those two songs together. And like, it is so ironic that um, God gave us the thing to combat that lack of belonging and isolation and alienation. He gave us the very thing and it's called the church. Like, like we, we have the thing. Um, but like I said, it's ironic that it's, it's been misused. It's been, we, it, we just haven't lived up to it because the church to me and to Jesus is the place for outcasts. Yeah. It's like, where, yeah. yeah. Keep going. No, no. I mean, I, I have, I have a major sin in my life um, that's been exposed in the past and, it's it's hard, you know, to bring yourself to uh, go to church sometimes, you know, to to be around people and what are they thinking? What are how are they judging? Um, with when, yeah, that that should be the biggest graceful place. And I think for people whose life has has ha, whose lives have fallen apart and been wrecked, well, well, we can lead the way. I mean, that could be part of our call to um, to um, try to make the church different, you know, and to be more accepting ourselves. Um, also, when I listen to that song, Fly Away to Hell, uh, I immediately um, think of Psalm 139, where um, David says, I can go to all these places. I can even go to hell. You know, mm-hmm. I can go to Sheol and still you're going to find me there, God. So there's a there's a promise even hidden in there that um, God can, um, he'll run away with you, you know, if you're, if you're that rabbit. He'll run away with you and find you um, even there. That's, so. It's beautiful that that's where your your mind goes with it. I think that record very intentionally ended without offering an answer. So the last song of that record is called Numb. And mm-hmm. uh, I even had somebody who I love like encourage me, you can't end a record on that note. Mm-hmm. You can't just, especially after every power light awake, you can't just release a rock record that is so hopeless. And my answer to him was like, but that's how I feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like there are days in which I lay my head down on the pillow and I do not feel God's love. Mm-hmm. I feel numb. there with your mind like that you thought of the fact that like if god is real and god is pursuing us and genuinely wants to be in relationship with all people that like we can't escape his love is really amazing and hopefully if you listen to the whole series marathon days through the end of marathon days in particular the um, deluxe edition which ends with god god outside of time and if i Mm -hmm. get to heaven 
those are my other those are my other two uh, i love the pairing of those two songs too yeah great that makes me happy and i i that that record marathon days is supposed to start in doubt and in anger and end in this place of faith and and so it was important to me that part three kind of ended on I'm numb. Part four ends on I'm no, no longer numb, but I'm angry. And that by the time you finish the entire series, if you listen to the entire thing, which is a lot of music, <laughs> you're you're ending on the fact that God is outside of time. Um, that I am safe in your future. I like that line a lot. Um just being safe, feeling like that precarious feeling of the unknown slowly dissipating because I'm just learning to trust that God is good. And then, of course, I have to make it a little more complicated for myself. So it's not when I get to heaven, it's if I get to heaven. Because mm-hmm. I just felt like that's a more honest way for me to sing it. Mm. So... Anyways, thanks for asking about those songs. They do and, mean a lot. And in the in the last song, um, if I get to heaven, that's what it's called. Yeah, um, you repopulate all all the people that were flying away to hell or whatever in in that album. They they show up, right? They show up at the end when if I get to heaven and you see you're you're being welcomed by all the misfits. I mean, you kind of are. I mean. The former slaves leading the chorus. Yeah. I love that line because like, we don't like to talk about it, but those Christian men, <laughs> those white Christian men, like enslaving people. Mm-hmm. Oof. Like that just like cuts me straight to my heart because it's an ugly, ugly part of our history. And I, mm-hmm. I would like to believe that they did not have the Holy spirit and that, they were not abiding in Christ and that the true people abiding in Christ were abolitionists like through and through. Right. And we can read Mm -hmm. about those saints, but it was really important to me to like, just say it first, like former slaves leading the chorus. Like you got to understand like the people that white Christian men enslaved, Mm -hmm. you're going to see them and they're going to be free. Uh, I also like uh, countless women kicked aside. Yeah. It's like, think of how many women throughout history yep. who have like these beautiful spiritual giftings who men have just been, we have just um, sidelined them to be mothers. Not that being mothers is wrong. What I mean is we've, we've boxed them in over and over again throughout the centuries. So, you know, they're going to be there and they're going to be singing. So anyways, I, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> and you're uh, even your, uh, even vocally, I'm not a musician, but I just notice things sometimes. Even sure. even your voice in that in that song is different than all the other songs. It's it's lower. It's uh, yeah. maybe maybe more earthy, which you're you're which I I find fantastic because you're singing about heaven now, but you're like joining uh, both heaven and earth through this deeper uh, <laughs> voice than you normally sing with, which well. I kind of chuckle at that too. Not that even it's intentional, but um it wasn't, but I think I wrote it that song in the morning and when in the morning my voice is just a little deeper yeah. and more gravelly. And so I just naturally went to a key that made me sound a little bit more like Johnny Cash and less yeah. like myself. Yeah. So um 
you're from, you grew up in Anacortes, Washington. We kind of yeah. said that already. Um, your, um, your dad did missions work. And so you, you reference that growing up in a Christian home, but, um, not, um, it didn't come, come to life to you until, uh, later, as you said. So could you take us through that? Yeah. There might've been moments in my childhood where it did come to life and I just don't remember or <laughs> he's still running around upstairs, by the way, <laughs> he should be going to school soon. Uh, you promise you send him to school. <laughs> I do. I, yeah, he needs to go to school. Um, but for me, it was a cultural Christianity. I mean, I grew up in the nineties. I was born in 87. Um, my dad w- was a youth worker really for a nonprofit and, you know, he was taking high school kids all over Washington state to like rock climb and river, river raft. And then he jumped to work with indigenous people specifically. And which is how I met my wife. Her parents worked for the same organization. And by the time I was maybe 17, that's, that's really when my world became like my, I opened my eyes enough and began observing the world at large enough to start asking deeper philosophical questions of my existence. And I took an intro to philosophy course because I was, um, my last year of high school, I, I went to the community college and didn't go to the high school so that I could travel and tour and that philosophy course, you know, it just threw a bunch of different perspectives mm-hmm. at me. And I just think what happened was my foundation of a, my foundation of belief was exposed as flimsy. Mm-hmm. It's the best way to describe it. And there were moments where I thought to myself, I don't think God is real. But I actually think deep down the whole time I I wasn't able to really let go of that core belief um, that there was a higher power. Mm-hmm. And the really long story or complicated story made short is that as I experienced more musical success, which did happen, the more that happened, um, the emptier I felt. And it just became really clear that it didn't matter how much I succeeded or achieved these goals that I had set for myself. I was empty. Yeah. You guys, the Lonely Force played on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. So you talk about success. You guys had legitimate success. <laughs> yeah, we were, um, we really were kind of poised to be a, a, a more successful band, you know, working with major labels and, and touring with bigger bands and, being on MTV or in Rolling Stone or whatever. Like we were kind mm-hmm. of in that era of, um, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, there was a lot of indie rock bands. Mm-hmm. And so we were just kind of a part of that resurgence of, of indie rock. And so, yeah, we were experiencing some success and playing bigger shows and lo- lots of cool things were going on. And I can hear my mom um, trying to get my son <laughs> into the car to go to Montessori 
um, Anababe is now at work. So this is a slightly different morning. Like Grammy, Grammy's here to save the day. So I'm hoping he's being agreeable. Who knows? Um, it just makes this more interesting if I have yeah. to carry the laptop up and you have to witness an exchange and <laughs> being like, okay, buddy, it's time to go to school. Um, but basically, Sam, what happened was uh, I, I saw my trajectory as a person. Not only did I feel empty, but I was not proud of who I was becoming. I was actually really afraid of who I was becoming. Like, um, parts of my personality, the things I struggled with, I was like, oh, shoot, this is not who I wanted to be. Mm. And I could see myself going deeper into those darker places. And, you know, touring in an indie rock band, it can be a pretty toxic environment. So I just kept finding myself in these places and situations where I thought, like, this is not who I want to be. This is not where I want to be. I got married and... um the first few years of my marriage with Anna Babe were hard. I mean, it was gone mm. all the time. Yeah. And so there was one tour specifically where um, it was a darker time for me. And I was really afraid of where my life was headed. But, and yet we were playing to like, you know, 1200, 1600 people in all over the States. Mm -hmm. So by every outer metric, things were going well. And I came home and I just for the first time realized that I needed God. I was like, I need you. Because mm -hmm. at that point I had kind of like decided for myself that I believed in God and that the Judeo-Christian God was the one I connected with. And I think being truly poor in spirit for the first time was what like it, it, it's, it's as if the heart I had had for so long, which was hard and cold, had been tilled. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I was like fertile soil for God's love and for what he wanted to do in me. And I got baptized on my birthday. And wow. um, my baptism was really weird. Like out of nowhere, as I was baptized in a pool, like this storm rolled in and it hailed and there was lightning and thunder. It was very surreal. <laughs> and wow. uh, spent the next three years like, patching repatching my marriage and trying to like be healthy and and I started playing on the worship team at church and mm -hmm. um, I was trying to choose healthier friends and I mean I really just began to change for the first time in my life and since then I think this is around 2012 2013 um it, my whole life has been different and that's kind of how I find myself here and um it was around that time that the Lonely Forest stopped playing. I was really, I was the driving force that ended it, which was hard because you play in a band that long, you become family. Um, but I really did it. I, it was like self-preservation at that point. I was like, I have to stop. The band had been this vehicle for my ambition for so long. And it just, I just needed to be done. And um, so the last decade has been just this rebuild of who I am and which I guess is just true of all of us, hopefully after we've experienced God and realized that God loves us and that God is here to heal us, not just save us from hell. Yeah. So. And you said that you got to a point where you didn't just 
believe in God, but you felt like I actually need God. Yes. I think, I think that's beautiful. You Me realize too. you need him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're also pretty, oh, like by God's grace, I would say, I would add pretty, pretty self-aware of like just trying to be healthy and of unhealthy tendencies like I'm, and maybe you could speak to that. It would be helpful for me um, because, like, for any artist out there, any creator, um, we can get in a um, in a funk in a world. Like when I, we can get pretty self-absorbed, and um, like for me, because um, I I write, I've written books and whatnot, and right. I, I recognize that. When I get my um, unhealthiest, there's, and my wife recognizes this, um, but it's, I call it Planet Sam. So everything's about me. It's like the whole world revolves around me. And right. that's entitled um, self absorbed Planet Sam place. Definitely not a good place to be in. Um, so I'm, so I guess the question is as, as an, how do you, keep healthy as an artist? Have you been made aware of some of your own tendencies? Um, how do you get, cause you mentioned you like obsess over things too. I'm sure that's part of the unhealthy formula, but how do you stay healthy as an artist, um, grounded, um, in, in good headspace, whatever you, however you call it. Um, I think for me, having friends and relationships, like intimates, yep. right? People who know me yeah. is really important. People who can look at me and challenge me, remind me that my motives for creating are always complicated and they're good and they're bad and they're ugly. Mm. Um, I have one friend in particular, his name's Jonathan, um, who has been friends with me for a long time. And he can really, he has agency in my world to mm. challenge me if he feels like he needs to. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. Which is not easy to do. No. We live in a disembodied culture. As you know better than I, maybe this it was this way in your 30s. I don't know. I'm 36. But it just feels like our world is, our culture has created a space for men as we grow into adults and have full-time, full-time jobs and kids especially. It's just really hard to make friends. Mm-hmm. So for artists, I think it's just really important if you can, and maybe this is something you've tried to do and you haven't been able to do. And that is heartbreaking to me. And I hope and pray that you find a community of people who can be that for you, but it's just important to have relationship. And that's something that I feel very rich in. Mm -hmm. Um, and as soon as it becomes me creating in a vacuum in a cave by myself 
for myself, which is something I've struggled with a lot. It just it gets a little self-indulgent and it's an echo chamber and I just need other people. That's such My, a good, good answer. Yeah. Maybe a hard one answer in my life, you know, um, having other sets of eyes on you. Uh, and, and this isn't just for artists. This is uh, let the reader understand. You can apply this to, to anybody's life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of having being intentional about having relationships in your life. And I want to add to that too, that, um, they don't have to be perfect. Like it doesn't have to be the perfect match. I think, um, people think in, in, males or females, they think that, oh, well, I have to completely line up with this other person or, or even 50%. And I, you don't, you don't just, you can, you can um, not force it, but you can make it happen. Like I have people in my life and, and it could be that people that God naturally puts in your life, like coworkers that you would never seek out in a thousand years on your own, but there they are. You know, now you have a choice. Am I going to receive this opportunity that God has placed in before me? Or am I going to say, no, these, you know, they're not, they're not my type. I'm not going to. No, just, just do it. See what happens. Just keep pursuing it. It's okay. But you need other people. We need other people in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the better, like, changes to my prayer life was when I started saying to God, like, I actually just want you, if you're willing, like your will be done in where we live, like my neighborhood, our house, your will be done in my friends group, Mm. church, job, beginning to surrender and ask for God's help, but also acknowledging that I want God to be like Lord of my life in these arenas. It's, it's actually not very easy to do, especially when it comes to friends, because I do think once we do that, God will bring people into our lives that we, we need on some level. And there's like a, a mutually beneficial like aspect to those types mm-hmm. of relationships. But often I found that they, they aren't people that I would gravitate towards mm-hmm. who um, maybe don't care about music at all, or they only listen to Imagine Dragons. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, we're very different. And maybe, maybe they're politically different, or maybe they don't care about politics at all, whatever it is. So it's funny, I was just having this conversation with my wife this morning, where we were talking about how that prayer, prayed in faith, prayed earnestly has shaped and changed our situation. Like, we really feel like we've begun to just say, okay, God, like we want to be healthy. We want to be the people you've made us to be. We want to be growing. So you as our, you know, ultimate guide and gardener, can Mm -hmm. you, can you shape the trajectory of our lives so that that is true of us? And we feel that happening and our life is beginning to look different because of it. And, um, you know, Christian formation. I was just reading actually in a John Mark Comer book about this and we're always being formed by something. Mm -hmm. And we're either conforming 
or being transformed. And um, anyways, artists, like if you're creating in a vacuum and you do not have people who can speak into your world, like it's going to be hard to remain healthy because you will be formed by what you consume and who you're around. If you're always on Instagram and all you ever see is like your contemporaries or heroes posting about what they're doing, there's, there's a good chance you're going to feel defeated or mm. you're going to feel like you're not good enough or yeah. you're going to be jealous when those two artists get together and play a show and you're not on the bill. Like yeah. it just creates this. But if you can sit down and have coffee with another artist and be honest about what you're struggling with, that is where those relationships are forged. And you, I think begin to, it's like you're tethered to someone else and it does it like keeps you from spinning out into the deep void. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny. One of the, one of the questions Sam, you had written about was um, what do I hear or see or like artists struggling with? Yeah. Right. Is that one of the ones you wrote? And yeah. Yep. I think that we live in a landscape as creatives right now that is changing rapidly and some people have the ability and willingness frankly to just follow all of the trends of self-promotion or tiktok or Mm -hmm. algorithms and they i have friends and peers who are able to do that and they're just able to say yep i now and now i need a tiktok account because that's That's how it works. And they just do it. But the majority of the people I know, especially those of us who are in our thirties or older, it feels very incongruent with who we are and it's difficult. It feels insincere or maybe we're at a place in our life where we're just not as excited about playing the game. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of discouraged friends who are just Mm -hmm. saying to themselves, like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I have to redefine my audience and redefine what success means to me. And, um, or they're not who the world wants anymore. Like, frankly, especially if you're trying to play and create art within a secular space, being a white dude, Mm -hmm. it's not a great look. And, um, And I say that acknowledging that I I am all for championing artists who for many years have been sidelined, like we were Mm -hmm. talking about earlier. But that is, that's a struggle. I think like peers of mine, just not really knowing what to do anymore. Like I just, I don't know how to reach an audience and I don't know who I, what, who my music is even for. I don't know if you feel that way as an author but I think in the music space, I know there's, a lot of people. There's definitely a temptation to, yeah, to, to write to what the algorithm thinks you should write. Absolutely. And it's easy to, it's easy to change and conform to that. And then you, I mean, on the one hand, perhaps God could use that to lead you out of yourself a little bit. 
um, mm-hmm. in a healthy way. That that could be a good challenge, but you can't swallow the whole thing, and you have to to um, remain faithful to to whom to who you are. Like I I have a I have a friend um, named Jack, and this morning I was just he's an artist, but uh, he's also a mus- um, he's able to be a musician too, and he plays the banjo. And he was just singing this song that he wrote in his on his farm this morning. This beautiful song about Galahad and the knight, and in his kind <laughs> of in his his beautiful croaky voice. And I just thought he does not fit the algorithm at all. And I'm I'm so glad that he's not uh, trying to play the game because uh, we would never get that. We would never get that experience and that richness. Uh, um, for how God made him, where he placed him in his calling. Um, mm-hmm. when it, like when, what you and your wife were praying about, like God's will be done, that hit home to me uh, a couple weeks ago, especially in a prayer time as well, where I felt like, okay, I have a, it just, God like kind of rearranged my priorities. And he said, like, you can live for your mission today, or you could just live for my mission. <laughs> um and guess what? I'm calling you to live for for my mission and therefore your submission, right? Under my mission. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is such a relief. It's such a better way to live. Like, I come with my agenda. And at times, like I said, the planet Sam and my self-absorbed mission in that. And, um, and it's good just to be able to let that go and say, no, God, I want to live for where you lead me, where you take me, the people you bring in my life. I'm going to take this as you involved in this way, in these particular areas, rather than trying to, uh, yeah, force my agenda in that. I don't know. It takes a lot of faith. Um, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's, I guess in the, <laughs> time, yeah, where, where are we going with this? We're all, <laughs> should we start the conversation yet? Yeah, yeah um, probably. What, what about, let's talk about some, what excites you in Christian music these days? Okay. So we'll talk about both ends of it, but is there anything that Christian music is, is doing well that excites you these days? And then um, we'll go into the uh, other question about where are there opportunities for Christian music to um, grow? Sure. But what excites you? Uh, I feel like I'm making friends and getting to know artists who they're just making records that reflect their faith. Um, but sonically, like from an aesthetic mm-hmm. and production perspective, they're just making what they want to make now. And the production styles don't necessarily reflect what is happening in popular Christian music. And I feel mm-hmm. like more faith-based artists are doing that. Um, do you know who Isaac Wardell is? No. Do you know the the Porter's Gate? Yes. Yes, I know the Porter's so, Gate. Isaac's a um a mover and a shaker within like you know the Christian space, a, a very thoughtful alternative space and mm-hmm. he's produced a few records recently, I'm pretty sure. And anytime I've heard the records he produces, I think, wow, this just does not sound like Christian music per yeah. se. It just, it almost feels like they just, they just wanted to make a good record and they're not really thinking about necessarily what, how it's going to connect with, you know, the average churchgoer. And I like that a lot. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Wendell Kim Wendell Kimbrew is a somebody who I've gotten to connect with, and I um, I've only talked to him to a few times, but I would say he's a friend. And he released a record, and I was just listening to it, and it's like there's aspects of country and John Denver, and like mm-hmm. it just doesn't sound like a Christian record, at least sonically. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy named John Guerra who I really love. John yeah. Guerra's records just sound like beautiful. John Guerra, yeah, it just sounds like John Guerra, and and um. You did think, a song with Judah as well. I saw. Yeah, yeah. So you, he's, you did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Judah's a great example. Like, just he's just making music that he wants to hear, mm-hmm. but it reflects his faith. And so, anyways, I want more of that. I could name quite a few artists who I think are just doing that well. Um, and then there are other artists like my friend John, who goes by Half Handed Cloud. Who's just forever just making his own thing. Like yeah. John has John has never fit into a box artistically, but that's what makes him so intriguing. And he does it with hundred percent sincerity, which is why it's genuine and authentic. So um so that excites me. I hope to see more of that. Um like I said, a lot of my friends, like Taylor Armstrong, Paul Zock, and my friend Tennille, who lives in Western Australia, just mm-hmm. like making good music that reflects their faith, but it just doesn't necessarily sound like Bethel or Hillsong. And Mm -hmm. so I do think that Christian culture in America, evangelical Christian culture in particular, just has a brand and musically it has a brand. There's lots of, um, there's like a playbook for how that music is supposed to sound, especially if it is considered corporate worship. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the drummer is always building, 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 building. And there's these electric guitar sounds. And even the way choruses are written and the way they land, like the way we sing them, it just feels redundant. And I think actually some of those artists, like the big ones who have been kind of um, leading the charge over the last 15 years, are actually probably beginning to tire of it and do their own Mm -hmm. thing a little. And maybe that will begin to free up those, the other artists in the world who are just kind of trying to follow suit, um, free them to just make the music they want to make that they, that they like, like there's gotta be a worship leader out there who's writing good songs, who knows that worship music right now is supposed to sound like named like Phil Wickham. Phil Wickham. Yeah. Great guy. Super great yeah. guy, really talented. And, um, but that worship leader maybe just really likes Ace of Bass. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I want that worship leader to get to the point where they feel confident, like, oh, maybe I could write songs that even are corporate worship songs, but sonically, mm-hmm. when I release them on my own record, it's going to have this like 90s, like Euro pop, mm-hmm. like dance club feel. And it's going to come out to the world and we're all going to look at each other and go, wow, I haven't really heard anything quite like this yet. And that mm-hmm. excites me. So I hope that happens. That's kind of a nice way of saying, I do think that's maybe something that needs to change. I, I hope I'm not an authority. I hope changes within Christian music. And yeah. I think that it's similar in Christian film. Like there are not a ton of examples of Christian film that I think really reflects 
a filmmaker making something that is, this is just what I like. I think my guess is that more often than not, Christian filmmakers are just trying to think of how to make something that's going to encourage the most people, which is an, a, a noble cause, mm-hmm. but maybe just doesn't, it's not a really a catalyst for good art. Yeah. I saw um, the name of the Christian, it um, had Mel Gibson in it, um, not as the main character, but then Mark Wahlberg, the boxing movie. What was the name of that? It was fantastic. Boxing. Uh, it was a not boxing. The, wasn't Mark Wahlberg in the fighter? Or no, it's Christian Bale. Wait, who's in the fighter? You're not talking about the fighter. No, right? not the fighter. Oh, I can't think of the name of it. But it came out like maybe last year or something. But it was like <laughs> it was like the most explicitly Christian movie I've I've seen from a Catholic perspective. But yet it was foul. It was, it was, it was hard to watch sometimes. It was about alcoholism and just lives falling apart. And, um, about Father God- Stu? Yes, Father Stu. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen that yet. But- yeah. 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 I, I really want to see like a renaissance of Christian film. And we have people like Terrence Malick and even like Martin Scorsese, who I think claim faith on some level, mm-hmm. making like, really almost like works like high art, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think of a a conversation that um, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien had, you know, back in the, I don't know, in forties or something. And they were talking with each other and they were lamenting that the kinds of books that they wanted to read, nobody was writing them. Uh, Books based on this medieval understanding of the cosmology of the world and the symbolism and that, and nobody was writing them. And so they said to each other, well, I guess we'll just, we'll just have to write them. And they actually, um, uh, I think, flipped a coin to see who would write like a science fiction version and then who would write uh, whatever style the Lord of the Rings is. And, High and fantasy. After, yeah. Yeah. And after the coin was flipped, um, uh, Lewis ended up writing, you know, the space trilogy and Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. But I just love that, that they saw the need and they said, we're going to do it. And oh. I, like, I hear that in you and like, what kinds of albums does the world, you think that the world needs? And, um, I know you're doing it, but. Well, the truth is that, and I say this with hundred percent sincerity, mm-hmm. that is why I make records the way I make them because mm-hmm. I'm, it's my best attempt at making the record I wish existed, but yeah. doesn't. I wish I had more skill and especially more time to write screenplays um, and to help film happen Mm -hmm. Um, because Hmm. film for me is like the pinnacle of modern art. It is um, contemporary art is, it is everything from writing to acting to, to, you know, visual art, visual aesthetic music. It's all combined and it usually takes hundreds of people to execute well. So I just think of it as this and it, we are narrative people like we're mm-hmm. story bound people and so i just think there's a reason we're all turning on netflix every mm-hmm. night and so christian film like i have a fantasy that i have literally fantasized about probably 10 times in the last two years right. i want to find steven spielberg yeah so badly and just say look the story of david 
mm. is incredible. Like, would you please, whether it's a mini series yes. or a, a movie, give us like a very real and very raw story of David, because yeah. it is, it's essentially like game of Thrones would not exist without mm. the story of David. It has mm. everything that game of Thrones, you know, has like, expanded upon and mm-hmm. so everything except dragons and so i fantasize about that type of thing like um jenkins i forget his first name who did the cho- who's doing the chosen yeah. and and frankly i think doing a really good job mm-hmm. um i want him to do that like i want him to to keep going and to keep you know to make more films that hopefully he's he's like entering into the creative space in a spiritual healthy way, you know, like partnering with the Holy Spirit, asking for God's leadership, and then just making a film he wants to see. Mm-hmm. I would love that. I actually have thought many times up I have thought up like stories that I think would make good films that are f- from a Christian worldview, but are not Christian, just like C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like I wish somebody would make the space trilogy into a very good oh, film. Oh yeah. Just, oh, absolutely. Yeah, right up my alley. Yeah. So there's our plea out there to the world <laughs> for people I, to. Yes. Like, I don't know how we can do this. I don't know either. We can create a nonprofit, Sam, with our only, <laughs> our only point is to like somehow get the ideas into the hands of the, like the real filmmakers. Yeah. Like the ones who are, who are not going to be um, like pandering to a, that sounds terrible. I'm not no, trying it's to diminish. Tr- it's, it's the truth though. It's the truth. Yeah. You even have David and Goliath on your album cover of your uh, marathon days. Yes. N- I mean, another that's pl- another plug for that. Um, I mean, that is. You have yeah. a pretty raw I mean, David on there too. <laughs> I do. So, yeah, my mom was so funny the first time she saw it. She's like, she just couldn't. She's like, John, you just have, I think she said, there's a full-blown penis on your album cover. Two of them. And, and the fact that um, that the Gospel Coalition, did you see that? Like, I did. When they listed, they listed their, at least their editor listed, listed the top records of that year. And Mar- Marathon yeah. Days was number one. It was. Wow. Yeah. And so for me, it's really interesting because that record that's it's Brett McCracken, I think, is his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Brett. And that record leans into that tension of like, is this Christian art? Mm-hmm. Well, the cover, of course, that that symbolizes the whole thing. It's like, here's yeah. a picture of a naked saint, like <laughs> the, one of the, arguably the most inspiring person in the Bible, other than Christ, naked. Yeah, and he's he's killing or murdering however you want to say it yeah. just killing somebody i love that i yeah I, I think it's great yeah and the background's pink <laughs> and the background's pink yeah there it is yeah. um on on my version of that album i um have um be not far from here uh twice <laughs> on my playlist because i love it so much no i just oh, repeated okay. it uh, I just I like repeated that song. it. Yeah. Um, Anna Babe and I wrote that song on our honeymoon, which was three days long. Wow. 
yeah, I left for tour immediately after we got married. So, um, but yeah, we sat down and she helped me with those lyrics. So, wow. It's a beautiful song. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Yeah. I know the gospel coalition liked, um, or Brett McCracken, whatever his name is, liked, um, every power wide awake. Um, Mm -hmm. but I have been disconnected with the gospel coalition lately and I didn't see what they did. Um, for, um, I was astonished when I saw that list. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm astonished. I, yeah, learning that. When I found, when I released that record, what I found really quickly was that um, all of the, most of the secular non-Christian people who have supported my music, they politely ignored it. Like very politely just didn't answer emails, didn't want to, and I'm not throwing them under the bus. I just think mm-hmm. it's it's a time in which who you endorse says everything about who you are to your audience. So I just think I had a lot of people being like, no, I'm not going to touch this because for better or worse, now I'm known as a Christian artist. So Mm -hmm. even though I'll release most of the music I release isn't Christian, at least lyrically, Mm -hmm. I mean, we could argue it is, but still that's how I'm known. So anyways, they ignored it. And I was expecting the Christian Atlas to ignore it too, because it has such um, like opaque language. Like it's, it's, it's confusing. It's purposely confusing. It's supposed to, especially some of those first songs are supposed to unsettle you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm using language that like, in particular, conservative Christians are very not okay with. And mm-hmm. so I was really surprised when, and, and really honored when Brett listed that record up there, because to me, it showed that he, he took in that record in all of its complexities and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it actually just really meant a lot to me. So that's fantastic. I didn't, I didn't realize he said that about that record. It's, it's fantastic. And um, like I said, I want to expose more uh, my listeners to you and to your work and um, keeping the Thank big you. for them to keep the big picture in mind too. Like, these are, it's like the Psalms. You just don't read Psalm 88. Well, you could read Psalm 88 and be very blessed by it's completely dark, kind of like your, the third album that you have. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, you read all the Psalms and, and God, God, um, like life is integrated. It's not compartmentalized. And I, I, we like to compartmentalize. I know I'm guilty of that. Parts of my life keep, you know, my sexual side over here, my love for yeah. cinnamon rolls over here, keep... You know, everything's yeah. separate and God's like that, you know, you don't work like that. You can, you can try to live uh, disintegrated, but, um, you're, it's not going to work. Um, mm-hmm. you need to bring all of yourself, um, under my mission, again, submission to me and, um, let me lead you. Yeah. So, oh, I'm excited about your worship album, you, you know, your next or whatever you're working on the corporate one. That'll be interesting to see how that um, based on what I know of you and, um, your interests and and desires for music, how that's going to come out. Yeah. It's, so that's where I'm at right now creatively. And I have another record coming out before that, that's finished and it's called Anthem Sprinter. And that record is the loudest and probably will be the loudest and darkest record in my I almost said canon which I think is a funny thing yeah. to say 
Um, and that's because those songs, all of them except one, were written many, many, many years ago when I was deeply struggling. Mm-hmm. So that record will come out. And then, of course, in my style, <laughs> the worship following album. that will probably be the most um, like accessible Christian work I've done. Mm-hmm. Especially because I really am. So like one of my jobs right now is to write corporate worship songs. And so I. Because you work for a church? For a publishing company. Oh, for a publishing company. Okay. I do work for a church as well. I have two jobs, three okay. if you count my own music. But, um, and, and so I, I really like, it's complicated in my heart because my, my ultimate dream would be to write songs for a living. Like I would just love to write songs that other people sing. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to pay my rent and, or buy a house or whatever with that money. Mm-hmm. But it's complicated because it's in the Christian space. And so like to have the honor of writing a song like in Christ alone or even more contemporary ones like goodness of God. I mean, I'm just naming mm-hmm. songs. They would be so honoring to me. I would feel incredibly blessed if God, God is my witness right now is listening to me if God allowed me to partner with him in that way, mm-hmm. I would also really love to like make a living doing that. Um, so this, this next worship record, which, you know, I have named, I'm actually starting to work on the art cause that's a huge part of my creative process. I have to do the art alongside the songwriting and mm-hmm. um, it, I want some of the songs to be, I want churches to sing them. I do. Like I really want main lines and non-denoms all over the place to sing some of these songs. So I have to kind of, I have to present them in a way that's on some level, like accessible, right? I can't like totally sabotage them sonically with like crazy guitar noise and stuff. But at the same time, my goal, which I might not achieve, but my goal is I want to make a record that no one's ever made. Like that is always my goal. And so I I laughingly told my publisher who is going to help me probably help me release this next worship record that I wanted to make the dark side of the moon of worship records. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like yeah. I want to make the dark side of the moon of Christian That's records. Awesome. Like yep. I want people to put it on and be like, "Whoa. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is not what I expected and it's far out." And it's challenging, but there's also some songs on it that are like instantly accessible. Um, Do you know who, um, if you know anything about the history of Anacortes music, you might know, but do you know who the microphones are or Mount Airy? I've heard of them, but I don't. Okay. (laughs) So growing up in Anacortes, there was a lot of really good independent music, experimental music, you know, underground, lo-fi, whatever you want to call it. And um, kind of the main torch car- carrier for us is the microphones in Mount Airy. And um, Phil, his name is a friend of mine. Um, I grew up around him. His older sister was my older sister's like best friend and they're still good friends. So I grew up watching him make art mm-hmm. and hands down, probably one of the like better loved experimental musicians in the world, like still mm-hmm. to this day, has made records that have topped the New York times album of the year list. Like, wow. um, 
like his record, The Glow Part Two. Like if Pitch if Pitchfork does a 100 greatest albums of all time, like it will be on there and it will mm-hmm. be high, right? Like huh. it is not a small deal; it is a big deal. And what's so interesting to me about Phil's music is that you will never hear anything like it. Like his superpower is that there could never be another microphones or Mount Airy. And mm-hmm. his visual aesthetic inspires me more than any other visual aesthetic. I, if he was here right now, I'd tell him and he'd probably like want me to stop talking, but like, I love the art that he makes. And so I say dark side of the moon, but actually what I want to say is the glow part two, which is this mm-hmm. record he made yeah. in 2001. I want to make the worship glow part two. And that record to this day, it's like over 20 years old still is selling vinyl all the time because mm-hmm. people find it and they think to themselves, I've never heard anything like this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going into this worship record, trying to make a corporate worship record that isn't going to alienate like, everybody at church artistically, but is still going to like challenge them enough and sound different enough that they're so, yeah, I might fail. Because people still have to be able to sing it. Worship directors still have to be able to play it. It's, it's almost like, which is a wonderful challenge, you know, as a creative, it's like you take the haiku, the haiku has a very specific format and structure but your job is to write the most creative, the best haiku uh, that, that you can write that's different than all the others. It kind of feels like that with, with worship music because there's an obvious kind of formula you have to follow at times. But how do mm-hmm. you create? And that's a, that's a true challenge of creativity, I think, not to just yeah. do something that's completely um, you know, out there. Well, I can tell this, this project's going to take me a while. Like I... In a perfect world, what I would have is three months where my bills were paid and I could take time off of my jobs and I could just make a record. That might happen. God might make that happen. He might bring a patron forward who's like, yep, here you go. Here's, here's the 10 grand you need to pay your bills. But like, I, um, yeah, that's what I want to happen. I want someone to give me a cabin somewhere and be like, okay, make your thing. But yeah. It might not so, be yeah, as good though. Who knows? There's something about the struggle. Um, but there is, but I get it. And like, it's harder when you have kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for people too, like, um, you guys don't understand that John gives away his music. <laughs> um, like you can actually get your music on Bandcamp for free. Um, so it's a, a, lot, easy, a lot of it. Yeah, a generous guy, um, a, just a different different model of things. But and you work hard in that. Um, your Christmas album, by the way, I just bought the record, so I'm anticipating uh, getting you. getting the vinyl. I'm super excited about that. I remember when that came out uh, last year. Uh, mm-hmm. I listened, <laughs> I listened to it uh, probably four times in a row. I was on a jog outside, and it was, and it was like I think it was like Thanksgiving, right around when it came out, mm-hmm. and. I got back from our Thanksgiving travel and I went on a long jog because I love being outside. And I, I was like, oh, he made a Christmas album. This is fantastic. So I downloaded it right away and went out on the jog and just I listened to it four times in a row. I just couldn't stop. It was so good. It has all my favorite Christmas songs on it. In your style, I'm like, I'm kind of, you know, I have my own tastes and that for music. And I tend to, 
lean towards more of the maybe punky kind of more alternative kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And to, and so that's why I first discovered you. I, I was, I'm constantly looking for um, good content and Christians who are making uh, good music that I like that that's interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that your stuff uh, is. So anything Thank else you, you want to leave us with? Um, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. Thanks for talking. I, um, I, I think we've covered it all. I mean, just the fact that I do have some records coming out and, um, I'm super grateful when people find my music and share it and when they buy it, when you order a vinyl, it does help me. Um, and I'm, I'm just really thankful and, that's as much as I can say. I mean, we could talk about, we could plug really quickly Telephone Friends, which is the kind of funny indie rock pop band I'm in that I think is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, who's so in that? Could you name the people in that group? Yeah, Tyson, Tyson Motzenbacher. Great guy. Um, great guy and, um, you know, has his own like successful solo career. And Matthew Wright, also great guy. Um, extremely talented. I mean, everybody in the band's, they're all better musicians than me. Um, Patrick Dodd is the bass player. He's also my boss. He's incredible. And then uh, Aaron Redfield is the drummer. Um, hmm. Aaron is one of the best drummers in the world. I mean, he's incredible. He's played with Prince and Elton John. I mean, like, he is no joke. Um, wow. So, you know, um, it's a good group. It's funny. It's irreverent. It's sincere. I hope that we get to play more shows around because I think the Telephone Friends show experience is one of the more cathartic things I've ever been a part of. Yeah, people yeah. laugh. People laugh so hard. It's good. It's really good. So it's good. But yeah, that, that's it. I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, we have a baby due November 15th. So I think, um, I, I, I'm not very present online, but I, tr I try to be as much as I can be. And, you know, I just appreciate prayer and, um, you know, as we welcome a second kid and I still try to like, make music and release things. I, Oh, I just finished a, uh, like a, uh, an ambient record, but really I, th I think it's new age music. Um, with my friend, Jeff Johnson, who was mm. on Sparrow records in the eighties. Wow. He's <laughs> been doing his own thing since like the nineties. And he's, he's a friend of mine who lives around here and he's just, he's just been doing his own thing for so long. So I, one of the reasons why I like him. And so we made this new age record that at moments really does sound like it came out in the eighties. Um, I don't know if you like new age music at all, but I do. So, um, yeah, there's lots going on. Like Enya. Yeah. I like Enya. Yeah. Like Enya. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like Japanese ambient music. And okay. Just music that's, I don't know. Well, I really, music. I appreciate you. appreciate your heart. Um, appreciate you. what you're trying to do, what you are doing with music. Appreciate you putting it out there, putting yourself out there, being real. Um, it's ministered to me, like I said, to my family. And um, yeah, just grateful. Grateful for you. We'll be praying for you. And uh, look forward to uh, um, what God's mission being done through you and your artistry and your skill in the future. Thank you, Sam. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate you reaching out and talking. Um, until we meet again, I guess. Until we meet again.